Welcome everyone to this exciting edition of the Team Blaney podcast. My name is Adam Rogers and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. If you're not familiar with us, the Team Blaney podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney racing family for two decades. Today we closely follow third generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will recap Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then give you a preview of the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. Steve, welcome back to this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast, and I am happy to report that the power of positivity that you put out there a couple of weeks ago that I tweeted out a video of on the interwebs has finally come around. Two strong runs for this number 12 team, and then finally, Ryan Blaney, Todd Gordon, and the crew find themselves in victory lane at Atlanta Motor Speedway. The moment we've been waiting for all season long is finally here. Sorry, you got to give me a moment. I'm still hydrating from yesterday. (laughs) I got to get a couple more body armors in me and hydrate because the party went all night long from Atlanta all the way back to the Charlotte area, I'm sure. (laughs) So (laughs) I, uh, I, I, it was really fun to watch this one. Um, They did everything from the beginning um, moving forward, 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 like they've been doing, just like they did at the end of the year last year. No practice, no qualifying, no problem. We know how to get there. And then this is what they've been talking about trying to do um, for a while now, and that's finish a race. We get to the front or close to the front. We know what to do to get there. And now how do we finish it off? And they did everything they needed to do to finish it off. And it was um, very satisfying to watch uh, watch a mile-and-a-half race where he not only – hunts him down but then once he passed him he was gone and it was a lot of fun to watch the end of that race just going hey look another another lap led oh look two second lead you know it's a lot um how do i put it It was a lot uh, more satisfying almost because those other victories were all like last second jump out of your throat your heart heart coming up any out of your chest kind of wins and this one was a lot of fun because you had to relish at those last eight laps and it was one of those races I think I even mentioned to you very early on, like, man, this is a long race. And I think every year when we come back to Atlanta, people talk about that. It's one of the last mile-and-a-half type races that have held on to that 500-mile length. And it's, it's a little bit grueling, and it's grueling for the, the drivers across all of the teams with the way that the the track's basically like a cheese grater. If you saw Larry McReynolds, he, he did his fun thing again where he took like a – uh, it's, it wasn't exactly a cheese grater, but like a, a file to a tire, just kind of showing like, you know, this is what the track's doing. The rubber's popping off on there. You saw it in some of the restarts throughout this entire race. They made a half a lap before the caution came back on a restart, especially even that, that Kurt Busch restart. Guys were diving back down to get tires again. There's only some guys in the back of the field that didn't maybe have as many sets as the front runners that stayed out on those cautions. And Daniel Suarez was one of those people that um, took advantage of that, came back in a second round after uh, a caution came out after a quick restart. And even that half a lap difference, having half a lap newer tires, made the difference in that team, in that 99 Trackhouse team, drove all the way back up through the field from the back into the top 10 where they stayed most of the day until right at the end. So tires were huge today. Um, the win for Ryan Blaney was even bigger. So I think it's good to just jump right into our recap of this past week's race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Ryan Blaney, race recap, Atlanta Motor Speedway. Yeah, here we go. 
one of the most interesting things uh, I found um, was that Saturday did the uh, uh, Ryan did the telecasts for the, both the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series, and this is something that I think is important. And they talk about it in post race too because the guys in the booth do see a little bit of something sometimes when they're when they're doing the broadcast, and then they're able to take it into Sunday and use it. And I think this. He, he talked about hooking the bottom line, and he also talked about a middle lane in one and two. Now, those are things he talked about on Saturday, and if you watch the race on Sunday, these are things he ends up using at different points during the race to make his car a little faster. Um, from the beginning, you got the, uh, the nine car to the rear. Um, there were a bunch of other, other cars with the back, uh, like three or four other cars that had to go to the back um, for other issues. Um, but the nine car did some inspection issues again. Uh, doesn't really bother them much. Um, Ryan starts 10th, and by lap four, he's up to sixth or seventh there. And at lap 15, he says it's pretty loose, and they're going to stay with the plan. Um, the 11 leads by this point, and uh, they're about four point, let's see, 4.2 seconds back in fifth at this point. So uh, the only other thing he's saying is they could use a little more grip. And these are kind of things he's, he's giving Todd uh, right before the competition caution comes at lap 25. And he got it up to fourth at that point. So he gained six spots from the start of the race. Um, and starting in the outside line, which is we're going to find out is going to be important uh, on the choose cone as the day goes, you're going to want to be on the inside line. Uh, the inside line has the better line once the restart happens, uh, especially after one and two, and then when you get to three and four. So uh, when they actually do go into pit, uh, they go in fourth and come out fourth. So the pit crew does a pretty good job holding serve. Um, it's talking about bouncing on the splitter a little bit, the entry being good and free center exit. So nothing major. He's not screaming about it. It's, it's all just like what we got to do. And it's, they're talking about doing exactly what they talked about, uh, pre-race. So they're, they're uh, on the radios. They're sometimes a little bit coded in what they say, cause they don't necessarily want other teams to hear about what their strategy was or what the adjustments that they're dealing with were, cause they don't want anybody to learn from it. Um, but I think they had a game plan in mind there on, on certain issues. Um, choose cone here. Uh, he does take the, the, the high and puts him in the second row. Um, the five leads to the start there. And uh, they actually put Josh Williams on TV at this point on the broadcast on the restart. And it's, it's fun, fun to hear him uh, uh, doing, doing his thing there, especially getting through that uh, traffic on a restart. I have to say that in comparison to some of the other races, Fox did a pretty decent job throughout this race of actually showing the choose cone stuff. They didn't waste your time showing the entire field doing it, uh, but there was a couple of times where they showed where things can really get backed up throughout the field as people are making these decisions back and forth because everyone's slowing down right before they do it. But as you said before, the way that Josh works it out with Ryan, he's basically counting off how many people have gone, have gone to the top and to the bottom throughout the race. So if you do have a chance to listen to Josh Williams uh, on the radio, that I think you can get a subscription through NASCAR. Or if you're at the race and you're, you have your uh, a headset like I do, um, make sure you take the chance to listen to that because it might give you some insights that you don't usually have when you're watching the race in person or watching it on broadcast. So it's usually fun to do, and I know you're a big fan of that. Oh, yeah. Um, so two laps into this run here right after the, the restart, he's into second, and um, by lap 40, uh, only about a second back of Larson. So uh, not too bad. They're looking at the different lanes to try and try and gain on Larson at this point. Uh, 
Lap 47, the, the 11 does pass uh, Ryan at this point, and he's about 3.5, 3.5 back of the leader. Um, talking about being bouncing loose, uh, but he's also talking about saving his tires a little. So he's worried about long runs and, uh, and how much effect it has on his tires. Um, at lap 52, the 18 passes, and he's still only 4.38 back of, uh, of uh, the leader at this point. So um, at lap 62... Uh, he talks uh, talks to Todd about uh, a little bit of entry, um, gaining a little bit on a little bit on entry center off, and the splitter's still hitting a little. Um, and they, I think they're talking about the bumps in turn one at this point. So um, they're, they know they're going to be pitting in a green flag cycle there, I think. So he just give them some feedback before that happens. Um, good. What I think is really kind of cool is that you see this as the race progresses, and obviously this was the big payoff for Ryan and the 12 team at the end, is that he's actually talking to Todd throughout this time about how he's trying to save tires and finding ways to save tires throughout the run because you did see it. Uh, Maybe he was a little bit too aggressive early on, and he did, towards the end of those runs, eventually fade back a little bit and get passed by the 11 and get passed by Kyle Busch. um, during some of these cycles. So he's kind of putting that into his memory bank that, you know, I need to be able to save things probably early, save a little bit often, maybe give up a few spots here and there, and then come on strong by the end of the stages. And you really saw that throughout the rest of the race. And obviously in that last segment of the race that ultimately led to victory lane. Yeah, they, um, they do flag, uh, on, uh, they do, um, sorry, green flag pitting and, uh, on lap 68, they are about, uh, about seven seconds back of the leader in uh, fourth place. Um, once the cycle goes through that, they remain in fourth. So they do a pretty good job there. And lap 87, he actually passes Denny for third. Um, and they're about 7.8 seconds back of the leader uh, at lap 93. So they really didn't lose a lot of time to the leader, even through the green flag cycle. And by the end of the stage, um, he is third. Uh, Larson wins the stage. And half the field is a lap down, too, at the end of stage one, which really says something about what uh, Larson was doing with his car. That car was definitely lights out all day. You could call it uh, class of the field, I think, without any argument for sure. And he was challenged on some of those restarts that he had throughout the race and was still able to, except for on one of those, we'll talk about that Ryan got the better, uh, got the upper hand on, but um, that five team coming out this year, I knew that they would be pretty stout and they've definitely backed it up all year long. It's a fast car with a fast driver behind the wheel. Uh, so the, the end of the stage, they pit third, um, going in third in the pits, come out third, uh, four tires, uh, fuel air adjustment, um, the choose cone, they go low, uh, in row two and, um, the tires look good. Todd says, so they're, they're going to probably going to end up splitting the stage. Um, if they, if they can, uh, the caution, right? Basically on the restart for Kurt Busch, this is the issue where everybody stacked up in the high lane and Kurt got kind of stuck there. Um, and really wasn't really his fault. He was trying to back off and not hit somebody else. And then somebody hits him and it just ends up being a bad day for him. Yeah, it was one of those unfortunate incidents where actually his brother is the one that kind of starts it because he spins his tires on that restart, stacking up the field, Chase Elliott, everyone around him, and then Denny's actually the one that ends up getting into the back of Kurt and sending him into the wall. What you will notice is the the benefits of being 
a good car. I mean, that was at the front of the field, but in this case, Ryan's starting in the second row ahead of this mess. So it's really easy on some of these tracks to, if you're, you know, towards the back half of the top 10 or even worse, if you're, you know, 15th on back to get caught up in some of these accidents on these restarts. So if if it was up to me, Ryan would be starting, you know, from a pretty high top five position every time to try and stay out of that mess. Yeah. Um, so once I go to another restart here, it does take the uh, low, low row, uh, choose cone low and uh, ends up in row two again. And this is at lap 117. Um, when they go green here, this is where he gets that really big push, uh, if I'm not mistaken, from what was it, the 48? And within a lap or two, he actually leads a lap. He gets that one lap in. And then um, I think it was a, kind of a crossover move for Larson at that point. Yeah, Ryan kind of gets out to the lead there a little bit momentarily. You knew that Larson was still going to come back on strong at that point in the race. So what it did show me was that they had the speed to do it. And I think I mentioned to you, if we have mentioned every week, that Steve and I kind of banter back and forth throughout these races. And I think that was the time that said, well, we you know we know that he can lead. So if we can get a restart at the end of, the, at the end of this race, we might have a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, by uh, of course he ends up back in second basically after a lap because I think he crossed the finish he crossed start finish line with the lead but then by turn one and two Larson had gotten back underneath them uh, by lap one thirty um, Ryan's talking about they're bouncing off the track again but they're better on the long runs um, he says he can't necessarily hold it in the track uh, by lap one forty they're four point seven back uh, of the five and uh, you know maintaining second position but but uh, not really gaining a lot of ground at this point. Um, lap 150, Josh tells him you are a tenth and a half better than anything out back. So <laughs> there's nothing catching him either. And we're seeing everybody else behind him really struggling. And, and like I said, Ryan's maintaining, but he's not actually the gaining. Uh, they do some green flag pitting at 159. So, um, they go in second, but come out third there. Bowman actually pisses, uh, passes on the pit cycle. So not not exactly sure what happened on that pit stop. Um, just might have been an issue the way they come out of the pits. Um, and they're asking about the tires being out of balance because Ryan was having a little bit of a shimmy or shake coming from the rear end. Uh, they double-checked the video a couple different times and said all the lug nuts were in good shape. So might have just been a tire literally out of balance a little bit. Um, they say, he says the shaking is just annoying. So it's, it's annoying when you're going really fast, I guess, and you know that's, that's all right. The one good thing that's happening throughout this race is that those are the comments that Ryan's making. Eh, the shaking's just a little bit annoying. There were races earlier in this year where he was extremely frustrated. And some of that is just the team coming off the truck, maybe with the ride heights not right, the setup's not right. They were trying some things, trying to be innovative, and it wasn't working out. Um, what you're seeing by this point in the race is that Todd and this team, their engineers, really hit on something and going back to last year's Atlanta race, you know, he didn't have that uh, great history of finishes at this track. He was finishing in the, you know, the twenties and the top 15s. And, um, but when they came here to this track last year, after the, the layoff that they had, he came out and finished fourth. So you knew that they may have hit on something there a little bit. Then what I didn't check to see was kind of what the weather was like last year. This year was definitely a little bit chilly and overcast at times. So, um, I don't know how much of this is going to translate to this race that they're going to have in the the heat of the summer, but hopefully that something that they found out with the balance, anything that they're working on, they almost hit it perfectly, I would say. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see here. Lap 175, uh, they're in third, about 7.5 back. Lap 185 in third, 9.6 back. Uh, but 16 cars are only on the lead lap at this point, too. So um, by lap 190, they're running through a lot of traffic, basically. They're getting all these lap cars, catching through them. And by lap 194, though, he catches the 48. He's only about a half second back of them. And two laps later, he, he, he passes. So he's up to second. And um, at lap 200, I've got him at uh, almost 11 seconds back of the leader. Now, mind you, traffic and, and, and actually getting a chance to pass somebody, you know, it does slow you down a little bit. And if then the leader navigates better through the traffic, he's going to gain a little bit of time there. Um, but the last 10 laps of the, of the, of the stage there, he actually closes a little bit on Larson. Um, now I wrote this in my notes cause I, I have a feeling this is something that was on purpose. Um, TV is going to say that Larson was losing his tires a little bit, but I also think that Elliot was the guy about to go a lap down and, um, Larson was giving him a break. <laughs> I think that's 100% true. And, and Larson, I don't he kind of has a history of doing this in some of the races that he led earlier this season. He's done the same thing. He's actually let guys and he, this actually happened. I think too, I saw he's let guys go by. So even after he's lapped some of these, these guys that I mean, maybe he thinks are going to be a threat a little bit later in the race. In this case, it was more of a teammate situation. Obviously we had our own little bit of a kind of teammate help though. Ryan had some comments on that, uh, post race about Mm -hmm. Joey Logano and everything. So, um, I can't blame him. That used to happen all the time. Back when, uh, before they had the lucky dog rule, that was commonplace for leaders to kind of lay over a little bit, let some of those guys get their laps back, especially if uh, based on manufacturer and some other things. So you don't see as much of that anymore because of that whole lucky dog rule, but I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm not going to fault him for that. If he was running up on, you know, like a Brad Keselowski or somebody else like that, I think Larson might have done a little bit more. There's a situation earlier in the race um, where he was running up on Suarez, but I think part of that was Suarez was up on the wheel um, doing everything he could to stay on the lead lap. So I think in that case, maybe Larson was backing off because he didn't want to get roughed up when he had such a good car. So things didn't end up working out for Chase anyway, but he didn't go a lap down at that point. Right. Uh, So stage two ends and uh, Larson does win it, but Ryan gets second. So now we've got stage Stage one, a third place. Stage two, a second place. Um, all kind of great stage points, you know, before we even get to the end here. Yeah, at this point, that's what, five, including the last stage of the last race, five straight stages in a row that Ryan's finished in the top five. So mm-hmm. comparing that to the previous races of the year, unbelievable turnaround for this team that just continues to dig itself out of the points deficit uh, from some of those bad finishes. Um, he talks about a little less stability here to, to Todd. Um, they pit second, they come out second, and this is the one on TV where they showed it because, uh, according to Todd, he says they missed it by about two and a half inches. <laughs> he says we're about two and a half inches short of passing, uh, on the, for the, uh, coming out of the pits there. Really, really close photo finish. And it was, it was cool to see it on TV. You, you saw it from afar at first and you're kind of like, did he, did he, did he catch him or no? But, I mean, you could barely, you know, fit a fingernail <laughs> in, in the difference from those guys. But, yeah, I have a feeling that if Ryan would have gunned it a little bit more, we might have been looking at a speeding penalty and uh, back of the pack. That's, I think that's exactly what happened, too, is that he pulled up. He came out of his stall, and, and he saw where he was at, and he realized, I can't race him because if I race him to the line, I might be too fast exiting. And then, yeah, then we have a, long, a little bit longer day. Um, 
the choose cone, he goes low and, um, you know, they, they do a good restart there, but by uh, lap 220, that's when the nine blows up. So, um, there's a short run there. Uh, they pit, uh, in second, we have a great pit stop. And this is the pit stop that I think that they end up, uh, they coming out first. So, um, I believe on TV, is this the one where they mentioned that it's the second fastest pit stop all season of all the teams? Yeah, so that's a, that's a stat that they mentioned. Um, it was mentioned on Twitter by a couple official sources throughout that. The one thing that I can't find, and maybe we'll be able to uh, update this next week, I couldn't find what the actual time was anywhere, um, but it seems to be verified. But that's just one of those things. People were kind of getting down. I won't, won't say people. A few people on Twitter and stuff throughout the struggles early in the season were really getting down on this pit crew. Why are they losing so many spots on pit road? Uh, every single time they're losing spots. Um there was one or two stops this race where they lost a spot, but they really shined on this one and put Ryan into the lead to once again kind of prove that he could he could lead this race. And uh, it, it really, to get a victory in this era, things have to go perfectly and you have to have a, a pit crew that executes almost perfectly. And that's what luckily that number 12 team had on Sunday. Now this is a this is a part we're here on this restart. Um, of course, he's going to shake the the low because he's the leader. He can pick whatever lane. And um, the the part I was hoping would happen is that he would just check out. Um, it seemed like that Larson. That's what he'd do. He'd get out front, and that would be it. Clean air, and he looked good. And so this is what I was hoping for: was clean and green from here to the finish. Just check out, and maybe Larson gets to you, or maybe Larson uses up his stuff trying to get to you, and he just can't do it. I was. This is what we were hoping for. But then there's this trash on the grill situation, and uh, I think you said you uh, saw where it came from. Maybe, possibly. Yeah, there's points throughout the race where they're showing the camera that's right above the safer barriers in one of the turns. And you can see they have, you know, all of these Folds of Honor stickers on there on the on the inside and outside of the safer barrier. Right up on top of the safer barrier, they have these Quick Trip logos that throughout the time, every time they showed this camera, they're just kind of waving in the wind. And then every once in a while, you would see one just take off flying. And then you'd see another one. Well... Not that this was the same exact one, but a few, uh, you know, 30, 40 seconds before they showed Ryan with the trash on his grill, they showed that camera shot. One of the trick, quick trip logos goes flying off over into the track. So there's a chance it was that. Also a pretty decent chance it was a hot dog wrapper or something because there was a decent amount of fans in the stands at Atlanta this weekend mm-hmm. since they lifted some of their restrictions. So um, you never know what it is, but he did the smart thing. He kind of got out of the gas really fast. Um, I know they were on TV kind of commenting that he potentially maybe got too far behind from Larson to be able to get that off the grill and could have been in a more serious situation, but he really kind of gunned it into the next turn, got up behind him, and luckily that debris shot out because uh, we might not be looking at the victory that we did if uh, the, the temperatures went up too high in that car from the debris. Yeah, they did a couple temp checks during the day uh, previous to this, and they were only talking about being four or five under. And I don't know exactly if these mean degrees or or they have some sort of scale that they're talking about, but, um, you know, sometimes it's nine or ten under. So when they're only talking four or five and they're talking about slight tape adjustments and so forth, uh, uh, something on the grill like that could have been huge. And uh, they were talking about, you know, pegging the temperatures, you know. It's also a real benefit of running up front is that you can maybe run a little bit hotter because you're going to be in more clean air than you would stuck back in the pack. So they probably had some tape up on the grill that if he was a little bit further back in the day, they might have been having to take some of that off. Yeah. 
so of course he ends up uh, second behind Larson and at uh, 79 laps to go, we've got him about two seconds back. So this is something I, I like to try and keep a track of as the race goes, because you might see if he's gaining or losing on him at this point. Um, see 68 to go. He tells them that the rear security is better. The chimps are four over on the water and uh, one over on the oil. So it didn't, it, it did affect a little bit. It didn't affect bad enough what they were panicked on it. Um, 62 to go. He's 1.3 back. So here it is. He's gained uh, seven tenths in, in that number of laps, 10 laps uh, and, you know, 20 laps there. And that's a slight gain. It's not a great game, but it does tell you that his tire wear is better than Larson's tire wear. And they showed Larson's tires a little bit earlier in the race when they were kind of describing how the track kind of eats them up a little bit. And there were parts of that where, you know, he was among the people that was having some bad tire wear. Um, if you follow the Team Blaney Twitter account, which I would suggest that you do, I uh, retweeted a graph today that somebody had put together of the last 20 laps. We haven't got to this yet, but the last 20 laps of, or the no, it was more than that. I think it was a whole final stage um, of this race that graphed Ryan and Kyle Larson's uh, lap times. And what it shows you is that Ryan kind of stayed really steady throughout that final stretch, whereas Larson kind of was up and down a little bit, where I think you can kind of see uh, the the moments when maybe he was using up his stuff a little bit more than Ryan was. So um, I think him being steady throughout this run, I think he was leaning on some of the stuff that he learned earlier in the race, not to abuse his tires, maybe what line to run and when to run it, how to pass some of the lap cars, um, really, really played into this victory and kind of just shows you how Ryan's racecraft has evolved as he's becoming more and more of a veteran driver uh, in the Cup Series. Um, so with 57 to go, the pitting cycle basically starts there, and uh, he goes in second and comes out second. It's green flag pitting. Uh, they do a pretty good job maintaining, maintaining position. TV, they do a really good job of showing you how him and Larson – did on this pit stop and truthfully they lost a little bit of time um i've got them with 53 to go at 2.1 back so they lost uh, seven or eight tenths on that pit cycle yeah and i think that's one of those i'm not sure if this was ex- this exact stop but there was a couple of times where ryan was coming out um and they weren't even necessarily guys he was racing around kind of got a little bit bunched up so what that does is is on pit exit it slows you down a little bit and when they were, were showing that graph Uh, The graphic on the TV coverage you saw when Larson left the pits, he kind of stretched it out real quick and got uh, up to speed and back out onto the track. And that was a big chunk of the time that Ryan lost was kind of getting up to speed after that pit stop. So at that point in the race, though, I was pretty confident because the last, the previous two runs, we talked about how he was gaining at the end of each of those runs. So we were talking, chatting back and forth a little bit too, saying, you know, does he have enough time? Um, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I wasn't exactly sure. In my mind, I'm like, it's probably going to be close, but I thought there's a chance that Larson was saving his stuff too. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't turn out to be the case. No, uh, they got, um, with 50 to go, they get into some lap traffic situation. That kind of slows it down a little bit. Um, I've got like 40 to go, 3.15 back. And then uh, they start to gain a little bit with 33 to go, 2.27. Then 23 to go, they're 2.5. And uh, with 19 to go, this is where I took notice of this. And the TV doesn't mention it as much if you listen to the whole broadcast. But Logano ends up being the next car about to be lapped. And 
I won't say it was totally what helped, but it made Larson use more of his stuff to try and get around Logano. And I think this is where, uh, with 17 to go, Ryan's literally one second back. And I think this is where it starts. Now, these are things that you have to remember. One, Joey, in any situation, is tough to pass in general, but then also even tougher pass to lap. He kind of has that um, reputation of being uh, a very difficult lap car to to get around. And I don't always necessarily think that's a bad thing. At this point in the race, he's about to get lapped. There's only what you said around 19, 20 Mm -hmm. laps to go. If he catches a caution at this point, or even is just in the position to get a lucky dog, it could come. He comes in to get tires, making one last adjust adjustment could totally change the race for that 22 team. And he knows this. He's a past champion in this sport. Now, also on the other end of this, I, and uh, my wife can uh, vouch for this, am yelling at my TV, Joey, Joey, will you finally do something that <laughs> that will benefit us? Because on the track, you know, these guys are teammates, but they're tough competitors, so Joey doesn't always cut line, cut uh, Ryan some slack. I don't even know that his teammate or his team might have radioed to Joey saying, you know, um, do what you can here or something like that, or maybe he didn't at all. He probably knew Ryan was in the lead at this point. But I also think just on the bigger scale, he would just want to stay on the lead lap himself. He is a master of this package. You know, he's won uh, a couple of races before that where he spent, you know, the last 10, 15, 20 laps just blocking guys. Um, master of kind of the aero package here on how to manipulate the air and keep guys behind you. And he kind of did that for a little bit, enough to where he even, you know, Larson was catching him, and then Larson ended up having to back off. And I think, like you were saying, at this point, that's when he really had to use up his tires just attempting to get around Logano. And as you'll probably say uh, soon here, um, it really benefited Ryan that Larson used up his stuff and he was able to kind of make quick work of him towards the closing laps of this race. That's it. Um, With uh, 16 to go, Josh tells him plenty of time. And uh, with 13 to go, 0.8 back, 10 to go, 0.5 back. And with eight to go, he passes for the lead. And then he just dusts him off at that point. It's like um, Logano lets Ryan Ryan by, which is good. And then Larson tries for like a lap or two where he's still kind of in touch, but he gets totally loose and he totally can't get anywhere near him. And by the end of the race, it's a two-second win. Yes. It's very exciting. Um, <clears throat> I was definitely shouting, let's go at the at the top of my lungs, which is probably one of my favorite things to do in any sport that I'm cheering for. So um, it was one of them. I'm sure it was one of those moments for you guys, too. I'm standing up walking around the living room because you can't sit at this point. Um, it wasn't exactly, you know, that his you know last lap Talladega type pass excitement. Uh, but I was nervous. I had a little bit of heart palpitations going on there, I would say. Walking around, you know, I'm saying as he was catching, I'm like, ah, he's, he's not going to have enough time. He's not going to have enough time. Um, I'm also one of those people that is a firm believer in the reverse jinx. So uh, I'm always going <laughs> to kind of take the negative side of things a little bit during uh, the race. Now, I tell you, I'd like to preach, you know, Steve's power of positivity everywhere else. But uh, sometimes during the race, I'm totally into the reverse jinx and, uh, saying that, you know, he's not going to have enough to get there at the end. But the biggest thing, and I, you know, <laughs> it might be weird, you know, I, I, I text Steve my excitement, but immediately one of my next texts was just that, let this was a win on a mile and a half track. And that is, aside from a short track, 
um, was missing from Ryan's resume. He's won at Pocono. He's won two races on a super speedway at Talladega. He's won on the road course at Charlotte, but he hasn't won on the, you know, a bread and butter type track uh, on the NASCAR cup series circuit. And it comes at Atlanta finally. And I think it's just kind of some redemption. It shows, you know, he's not just the third team Penske driver that, you know, can win every once in a while or locks into wins because some guys crash or he can only win on the super speedways. Now he just needs to win on a short track, and he pretty much has a full resume. He's not the third cup Penske driver at all right now. He's the first Penske driver because he's the first Penske driver to win a race this year. And watching the last couple of weeks, if you look at the three cars out there, the 12 cars, the car that the other two cars are really wondering how can they get to be like that. Um, yesterday definitely proved that the 12 car has uh, the driver – and the, and, and the setup to do what it takes to win races right now. And I think what this does, now I said there's been a little bit of negativity to start this year because, you know, he crashes at Daytona, he struggles the next couple of races, and everyone's getting down in the dumps a little bit. We're trying to remind people to stay positive. People are already immediately a couple races into this season saying, you know, Todd Gordon needs to be fired. They made a mistake when they shifted, you know, Jeremy Bullins to another thing. What's this pit crew doing? They can't keep up. You know, they're just losing spots. Um, and I don't like buying into that type of negativity. So what this proves is that this team was able to regroup. Todd was able to get some things together on this setup because, again, they were lights out. I mean, they weren't as fast as Larson early on, but it was basically Larson and Blaney and then the rest of the field um, almost for that entire race. Even if Ryan, you know, was like three or four seconds behind, the people behind him were like six and seven seconds behind after towards the end of some of these longer runs in the race. So this team was able to come together to be the first Penske team to win, I think is huge. Last year, his teammates had already both won a couple of races, so... I think the next thing that they need to set their sights on, um, keep getting the stage points that they got. Like like I said, now with this win, six stages in a row, I think. I don't even know going back before that where they've at least been in the top five at the end of the stages and then including this race win too. Keep that momentum up. Unfortunately, uh, we're kind of going to an unknown track this next week. I almost wish they were going into the meat of the schedule right now. But... I think this is possibly the year where Ryan has won now five consecutive years in a row uh, in the Cup Series, which is definitely a good thing. But I think he really now wants to look at a two, three-win season at least to kind of match some of the other young gun drivers that are out there that he's competing with. You know how you shake the soda can and you shake it and you know what's going to happen when you open the lid and it's just going to go everywhere? That's kind of what this win feels like. It's like, okay, we've shaken the can. We just popped the lid, okay? And they, the first thing to come out is the first win. But I think there's more just about to sprout out of there now. I think that now that you've gotten the one you need, all the pressure's off, all you've got to do now is just keep performing, and it's just out there now in front of you. Okay, we get to this place, we know what we need to do, and we're going to do it, and we're going to do it, and we're going to do it, and we're going to do it. And I think – confidence is always something that that's good that, that happens with this. And I think they got all the confidence in the world, no matter where they go, that they can do what they need to do to win in the race. And he's had years. I mean, he didn't really get to do this much last year, but he's had years where at least he's won uh, also in the Xfinity series or he jumped back in a truck and won. 
last year he didn't he didn't win uh, in any other series. He won in the Cup Series, obviously, when he won at Talladega for the second time. But it really, if you don't get to victory lane, I have to imagine that that's that kind of weighs on you a little bit. You have a new crew chief. You guys did get that one win together. But, you know, you're so used to another guy this whole time that putting a whole race together, again, all week, even leading into this race, uh, people are talking about power rankings and other thing on TV and on, you know, Sirius XM NASCAR radio, um, listening to the uh, fantasy racing preview that I, uh, the episode that they have on there right before this race, Brendan Gone and Pete Pistone, one of the main things, you know, Brian Blaney just doesn't, doesn't always... Uh, Brendan Gaughan specifically said, I'm picking Ryan Blaney because he starts up front and I know he can get me some points in those two stages, but I just can't count on him to get me, you know, a big amount of points in the last stage or win. So this team finally figured out a way to put that whole race together, everything. They're hitting on all cylinders from the the crew chief and the setup and with the engineers leading into the race and being fast off the truck to execution on pit road throughout the day to Ryan in his race craft, being an incredible driver, saving his tires learning throughout the day on what he needed to do and how to execute. And when you do that and, you know, a crazy caution doesn't come out or someone doesn't spin out in front of you or a lap car doesn't, you know, mess up and get in front of you and kind of ruin your day. If you do all of those things right, you're going to end up in victory lane um, more times than not. You know, you look at the standings now and what we were worried about or what people, I wasn't necessarily worried about it, but people were worried about weeks ago is all over with now it's seventh place in the standings and if you look at the playoff standings which is you know sometimes you have to click one to the right on nascar.com go to the playoff standings it's fourth in the playoff standings because they also add in those uh those stage wins so he's he's right there now and i think i said a couple episodes ago it just takes a few good races getting some stage points and i said if they can get that win they're out of that hole, and they are. They were 13th last week, if I remember correctly, in the point standings, all the way up to 7th now with one race and one victory and scoring points in, you know, nearly 10 stages in a row. So really, really impressive run here for this number 12 team. I know maybe sound not maybe as excited as I was on Sunday, but I think also part of this is just, you know, at this point, we've been there before. We've, we've, I was pretty excited for that Pocono one, getting that first one. But at this point, Ryan Blaney is a proven winner on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. I wanted to get, in my dream world, we're getting so used to him winning that it's almost as if we were like a Kyle Busch fan or something, where we're disappointed when he doesn't win. Hey, I, I guarantee you that the goal right now is, for him and for Penske is, is to finish off the playoffs, is to be one of the final four teams at the end. And now the next, you know, 10, 20 weeks of racing is all about that, you know, getting another win or two, getting some stage wins, those things that add up so that when you get to the playoffs, you don't have to worry about that first round and maybe even the second round, you know, because you've got so much in the bank already, you know, and then it could focus all the way, literally, if they win enough now, win all, all the way to the third round where they just got to win one of the third round races, you know. So let's see that executed in the next you know 20 some weeks and i guarantee you that's all they're really worried about now is you know they can be loose they can be free about it they can test some things when they need to test them and you know they can have a good time you know even this next week with what's going to be happening this next week they're going to have fun 
Yeah, absolutely want them to focus a little bit more on points. Maybe you don't. That's not the most exciting way to race, but they had a devastating first round of the playoffs last year. The previous year before that, they made a pretty deep run launched into that extra round because of that mm-hmm. win at Talladega. Mm-hmm. They want to get back to that, but they also want to point their way into where they have a nice cushion, as you just said. So I'm fine if they focus on that. I think they can take a few more risks to get stage points too, where there's sometimes where guys normally will pit right before a stage and uh, kind of relinquish some points so that way they're set up a little bit better at the end of the race. I think what these guys could do is kind of flip their strategies a little bit, maybe take some more risks to get stage points early in a race, and then kind of find a way to rebound after that. So I'm excited, excited for the future of this team, really, really excited that they ended up in victory lane this past weekend. I'm sorry, we need to talk about the siren or some sort of sound. We need to come up with something with every time Ryan wins, so we've got something new. Yeah, this is the thing I, I was talking to Steve about a little bit earlier in the day was I want, you know, not to just copy Chase, but Chase and he's really copying his dad, I guess, you know, the, the siren, the siren that they play at the Dawsonville Pool Hall um, that they play every time that or they, you know, wind up and, and let go when Chase wins a race. I was trying to think of something that we can do on the podcast uh, that that was kind of Blaney themed or um, going all the way back to like uh, their roots in Hartford, Ohio, which is a bit of a rural community and so it's like my first thoughts were like i don't know like a, a cowbell or a, a a dinner triangle like you know like ringing the triangle for dinner or something yeah so i really is, don't know but i yeah if you got any ideas i, I don't know i th- i think this is something that um the team blaney should post tonight or tomorrow when, when the podcast comes out ask all the people on team blaney uh who follow team blaney on uh facebook twitter instagram and uh, people who listen to this podcast, that's where you can find us as Team Blaney on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And let us know what you think. Come up, give, me, give us your ideas. You know, there are thousands of you out there. There's just me and Adam here. Um, I don't have that much brain power sometimes, um, but Adam's pretty good. But maybe uh, some fans will come up with some ideas. There's some sort of victory bell, victory thing that, they, that uh, we can uh, do every time Ryan wins. Yeah, victory, some sort of a thing that could maybe become a little bit of a, a little bit of a tradition, um, kind of like Ryan's tradition of giving the the flag out to a kid after he wins a race, which always surprises me. Every time he's won, he's pretty much done it, and every time the TV people act like it's the first time they've ever seen it, and I'm like, come on, guys, this is thing. He's been doing this uh, since his wins in the Xfinity series, so really cool. Yeah. It does really well. Um, I think Ryan gains way more fans every time after not just because of the win but because of the way he celebrates without he did some burnouts earlier in his career with his truck series wins and stuff but at some point kind of changed his mindset a little bit does a little bit of a half of a polish victory lap grabs the checkered flag and and uh picks out a kid in the crowd and gives it to him so yeah i think i'll put that up on social media we want our own version of the of the siren uh but something blaney style uh uh comes to mind, you know, the, the college team that I went to, uh, Youngstown State, when they score touchdowns and stuff, they, they got a, an old-fashioned steel mill whistle. That was kind of cool. So, I mean, that was yeah. one of my thoughts, too. But, I mean, Hartford's close to Youngstown's, but they're uh, they're a little bit further removed. Definitely different different world. So, anything that's maybe Blaney theme that we're not thinking of, anything that's maybe rural or, you know, Hartford, Ohio theme that can be a... That can be our, uh, or maybe it's something out of the box, something Star Wars. I don't know, <laughs> something yeah. like that. That uh, that maybe it's a pew 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 pew. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> 
<laughs> Who knows? Some so. idea, there's some ideas right there. So hit us up uh, on our, our social media if you guys have a, an idea. But for now, like I said, we're going to relish this victory. But let's take a step back and take a look at the roots of racing and take a look at this week in NASCAR history. This week in NASCAR history. All right, we're back again with this week in NASCAR history. March 26th, 1955, Fonty Flock wheels Frank Christian's Chevrolet to victory in the 100-mile NASCAR Grand National Race at Columbia, South Carolina. It is the first win the Chevrolet nameplate is the first win for the Chevrolet nameplate in NASCAR's premier stock car racing series. I think it's safe to say that they've uh, uh, went on to win several more races since that first race in 1955, wouldn't you say? I don't think the manufacturers back then were really even worried about whether or not they were the ones winning those races at that point um, because it was just the guys bringing their cars from home and and working on their cars from home. So uh, I think the big money uh, of Detroit gets into it a little bit later. Yeah, it went in a little bit further to where they they came up with that uh, uh, win on Sunday, sell on Monday or whatever that saying is. So but this was that kind of that era where if maybe even a little bit further on where some guys were, were buying cars right off the showroom floor and driving them uh, out to the racetrack. So this week in NASCAR history, March 28th, 1964, David Pearson wheels his Cotton Owens Dodge to victory in the 100-mile race at Greenville Pickens Speedway. Dick Hutcherson, making his first NASCAR Grand National Series start, wins the pole. Hutcherson leads the first 60 laps, but his day is foiled by a wheel problem. What speedway was that again? Greenville Pickens. I hear a lot mm. of uh, old-time fans talking about this. So obviously this race goes back to 1964, one of those classic tracks that they raced on uh, really, really early on in the history of NASCAR. March 24th, 1970, during a Goodyear tire test at Talladega, Buddy Baker becomes the first man to break the 200-mile-per-hour barrier on a closed course. Baker turns his lap of 200.447 miles per hour to establish himself as the fastest man on fastest man on four wheels. Wow, is this is this the point in time they start looking at restrictor plates? I think it may, it's probably probably about to get to that point, but you know, 1970 200 miles per hour that's pretty impressive I would ha- I would have to say at that point. Um I mean, I don't even know. I've gotten my street car up to maybe 100 uh, in my younger days, and I, I, uh, I've yet to take part in one of any of these NASCAR driving experiences, so I don't know if I ever will experience what 200 mile, miles per hour feels like. I've, I've taken a streetcar up above 100 different points and times, and the car starts shaking. So yeah, yeah I don't, I'm not too, uh, not too keen on going any faster than that. No. And unfortunately, at that point, you're the crew chief, so you have no one to complain about the car shaking to. This week in NASCAR history, again, March 28th, but in 1993, Dale Earnhardt scrambles from the back, or scrambles from a one-lap deficit to win the Trans-South 500 at Darlington Raceway. Earnhardt's victory ends a personal 10-month losing streak, if you could imagine that. Alan Kowicki finishes sixth in what is destined to be his final race. Got any March 25th in there? I do. (laughs) I do. Uh, so, March 25th, 2001, Elliot Sadler becomes the third first-time winner in the first six races of the season with a triumph in the Bristol's Food City 500. I remember watching this race. Sadler comes from his 38th starting position to nip John Andretti at the finish. It is the Wood Brothers' first win since 1993. 
he was piloting that number 21 motorcraft car for the Wood Brothers that I'll say Ryan Blaney famously also drove uh, for them. So I'm going to go ahead and close the record books, close the history book for this week in NASCAR history. Tune in again next week, and we'll give you some more interesting tidbits from throughout the history of NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview. Bristol Motor Speedway, Dirt. All right, Steve, we've been through Ryan's victory. We've been through this week in NASCAR history. I think now it's time to take a look forward to this weekend's race and all of the unknowns that await the drivers at Bristol Motor Speedway. What can we really say? That's going to be dirt. No. no. <laughs> well, we can't really, say it's, it, it's going to be dirt, and Ryan has a wealth of experience on dirt. Is that right? Uh, not so much. Uh, <laughs> this, this is what's been fun about this, is there have been all these different people saying, well, this guy's on dirt all the time, and that guy's not been on dirt all the time, and that guy's only done like an all-star thing on dirt. And it's like, I don't think... Anybody really knows what anybody's experience is. Um, the TV broadcast, they were talking about Harvick. Like, Harvick's only done a couple all-star events. And I'm sorry, I've seen Kevin Harvick at Sharon Speedway with his Shell-themed car back in the day and his trailer and everything else with Shell all over it. And that meant to me that he was doing that more than once a year. You know, so these guys, some of them have more experience than you know about. You got guys who are going to run the truck race on Saturday, um, about five or six cup guys. Um, you got guys like Bubba Wallace, who's won at Eldora in the truck series. You know, so there are all kind of different things converging. And then the setup of what they're going to do and how they're going to do it as far as qualifying on Saturday. Um, the practice time on Friday is going to be very, very interesting for a lot of these guys. Yeah, you, you mentioned the guys that are going to be competing in this truck series race ahead of the cup race. Um, kind of looking at the, the list here, we have Chase Briscoe, Bubba Wallace, Kevin Harvick, Ryan Newman, Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr. They're all jumping into trucks ahead of this race. Truex is one of those kind of interesting ones. He actually jumped into an Xfinity car last week at Atlanta for the first time in uh, I think more than a decade, and I think, again, this is going to go back even further for him to get in a truck. But he's one of those guys that I think has run maybe a couple of those charity-type races before. But that's kind of the extent of it. We joked, or I mean, I kind of joked a little bit about, you know, Ryan having a wealth of dirt experience. And that's just a misconception because of the last name. They mm-hmm. do own Sharon Speedway in Hartford. His uh, dad, Dave, Uncle Dale, Grandfather Lou, all essentially... All members of the Sprint Car, the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame, all legendary dirt race drivers. Ryan himself, though, didn't really spend that much time on it. I think I said this in our season preview. I could be remembering it wrong, but I'm, you know, 75% sure that I did see Ryan at least hot lap what was then called a green flag sprint car, something that, you know, the, the Blaney family and some others were developing back in the day to get people into kind of an entry-level sprint car ride. Um I'm sure he did a little bit with uh, quarter midgets and some of those other things that he raced very early on his career. If I'm not mistaken, I think maybe at their house in High Point that 
you know, David kind of built a little test track in their backyard that probably was dirt. I don't know, unless he kind of went around there with a, with with something that lays some asphalt down on their form. I'm not 100% sure. But that's really the extent in those uh, couple of truck series races that, that Ryan was in, including one of those races where he competed against his dad, which is one of the few races that he's been in in his career, especially on the NASCAR side where he went heads up with his dad. There, um, there's a story, and uh, I found it looking through Ryan's uh, Instagram one time that they've got from these um, advanced auto parts uh, things, and it's Dave and Dale or Dave and uh, Ryan talking, and Ryan tells the story of how he was not allowed to drive a sprint car anymore. Um, he he did some testing somewhere that he thought nobody really knew about. And then Mr. Sendrick, Austin Sendrick's dad, who's the competition guy over there at Penske, sees Ryan. He says, hey, no more sprint cars. And Ryan was like, how did he even know about that? And uh, his own dad turned him in, from what I understand. Yeah, really, really <laughs> funny story that Dave kind of just, he, he gives uh, Penske a call and says, you, you, you better... Uh, you know he's he's a little bit off the handle here. You you better keep him out of these dirt cars. It's not it's not safe. <laughs> I think that's just Dave looking out for Ryan's career. I mean Dave knows, um, unfortunately, specifically sprint cars incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, every year we lose somebody, and it's it's kind of sad to see. But um, you're strapped on a rocket essentially. So. If if we were to, I know we've kind of, you know, really wished that Ryan maybe would have jumped into a dirt ride ahead of this Bristol race, even though I don't really think it, it's going to help too many of these guys out as far as this race goes, kind of driving these, you know, several thousand pound bricks around the, <laughs> around the racetrack mm-hmm. there. It'd be very similar to what the truck races are like. Um, but if he was, I'd kind of want him in a little bit more full fendered or modified or uh, something with a little bit more protection uh than maybe a sprint car yeah the last week or so at bristol they've been doing um you know different types of modifieds and so forth and um i I realized i was talking to somebody today about this that sprint cars are going to run bristol in uh april late april a world of outlaws event is going to be set up and that will be really really interesting to see what those cars can do on that track from my understanding when they did do, put dirt on that track in 2000 2001 uh the sprint car guys were doing times like 11 almost you know 11 12 second lap times which is incredible on dirt i could imagine it uh, i was telling you a little bit earlier that within the past week i've actually pieced together my own iRacing rig here in my office just to have a little bit of fun and um, been starting out on the dirt side and one of the first things I did was download they made the Bristol dirt track available so I myself have turned some sprint car laps there that have been a little bit challenging just because of the way the banking is but again even though iRacing is a very popular simulation I don't even want to call it a game because I know that could upset some people if you say it's just a game but um, kind of at least gives you an idea of what things are going to look like there when they get to this race so again if you want to catch this race, it's coming up Sunday, March 28th at Bristol Motor Speedway, the Food City Dirt Race. You can catch it on Fox at 3.30 p.m. on PRN on, on the radio and also on Sirius XM NASCAR radio. So, Steve, this race itself, one, full disclosure, I think you, you guys might be heading to see it in person. 
um, whether or not I can release that information or not. Not this race, but you're going to be seeing some of the events of that of that weekend. I should should correct Sat- myself. Saturday, we're going to go for Saturday's events um, because, truthfully, Saturday's got it all. Uh, Saturday, uh, they're going to have a, a, a the um, Camping World trucks are going to do their qualifying heats. Uh, then at uh, like six o'clock will be the actual cup cars doing qualifying heats, and then it'll be the truck race. So we're going to see we're going to see the cup cars doing their qualifying heats. We're going to see the trucks qualifying heats and the truck race, plus all the cup guys that are in the truck race. So Saturday we're going to do Saturday. We're going to try and come back Sunday and watch the race from home on Sunday. Um, but I think Friday is is the big day because three o'clock in the afternoon Friday the cup the the uh, truck race gets practice going, and then the cup uh, cars i think it's four o'clock on friday all on fox one uh, and that's where it all is going to happen for these guys they're going to get that practice in uh, that's the first practice and then their second practices at 5 30 and 6 30 um, for trucks and then cup and that's where you're going to see these guys what do they learn in the first practice they can do better in the second practice um, and then also the track is going to be my biggest concern there are two things on the track i've been told by people to look out for one is because of the weight of the cars, um, hopefully they don't dig a rut somewhere into the track, like where everybody runs the same type of line, and then all of a sudden there just starts to be a rut, rut gaining in there because it didn't, you know, and it's going to be nothing to do with how they prep the track and nothing to do with how good it's on there. It's going to really have to do with putting a car of that weight on that surface, and, you know, there was no way of really testing that till now, so... That's one thing to look out for. Also, uh, the way the dirt has come down off the off from the top wall all the way down to the lower wall, um, the uh, the, uh, uh, the the track angle is going to be different. And when it gets down to that low wall, instead of that low wall being about four feet high or whatever it is normally, it's only like a foot and a half, two feet tops. And there's some concern uh, that some cars, if they get down there and get pinched could end up flipping over the wall onto pit road. So that's really kind of a thing that's hopefully there's no issue with it, but there's some thing, two things to really look out for as far as the surface and, and what they're going to deal with as far as the surface goes. Yeah, they've definitely been trying to learn as they've held a bunch of these these dirt races that if you haven't checked them out yet, you can find them all over YouTube and Twitter and, and people posting videos from them. But I think it somewhat has been intentional that they've built up a little bit of a berm on the on the inside of the track as a safety measure, but I've also seen that kind of bite a few people, and there has been some big crashes uh, so far at Bristol throughout uh, the races that they've held there. A couple pretty nasty flips, even in a, you know, a full-size late model, has hit one of those bumps and just kind of careened up into the air and, and rolled. So, again, racing is definitely dangerous, and I, that was one of my concerns going into this, especially once they get to that, the sprint cars and how fast that they're going to be going. Let's talk about the format of this race. Steve was correct when he's saying Saturday they're going to be holding four 15-lap heat races for the Cup Series starting at 6 p.m. and then 15 minutes, 6.15, 6.30, 6.45. Those are the scheduled times, but I'm going to safely assume that there might be a few cautions here and there. The heat race starting lineup is going to be a random draw that will... De- determine the designation of the heat race and the starting position that draw is going to take an effect in order of current owner points 
for the races they're going to be 15 laps each only green flag laps are going to count there's not going to be an overtime rule in this case but there will be a free pass and a wave around rule in effect for these heat races one of the other things that they're going to be doing that's a little bit different that they're taking from the short track world is they're going to be using passing points and now what that is is it kind of incentivizes somebody that starts in the back of their heat maybe they pass you know four or five cars but they don't necessarily get up into the lead and win they're going to get points for every position that they pass now one thing that they're not going to do that they also do in the short track world is there's kind of some negative passing points say you started on the pole and you dropped back four positions in some short tracks they'll take passing points away from you in that case so they're not going to do that there's only going to be positive passing points so if you're a guy that starts in the back of the your of your heat and you you know make it all the way up to second that is going to go into um, the calculation where they actually make the lineup for the Cup Series race. So that lineup is going to be based on the combined points of the heat race position, position plus the pass, passing points. This feature race, now we're saying these heat races are taking place on Saturday, then it's going to be followed by the Truck Series race. The truck heats are happening right before the Cup heats. So full day of dirt racing there on Saturday. Then we're going to move on to Sunday, the 28th where there, there's going to be a 250-lap Cup Series feature event divided into three stages. First stage ends at 75 laps, then 150 laps, and obviously the checkered flag is going to fall at lap 250. Now, this is totally unknown. Um, luckily, Ryan was interviewed a little bit more this week, especially after the victory. One of the things that came up from his crew chief, Todd Gordon, in some of the interviews that he's done prior to the race and just after is that he's been leaning on old Buckeye Bullet, Dave Blaney, for some possible setup advice. Now again, who really knows how they can set up this car, but as we said, Dave competed in the truck race for Brad Keselowski Racing one of those years, so he has a little bit of experience with a stock car, though it was a truck, on dirt at Eldora, so... Todd says he's been having a lot of conversations with Dave throughout the past couple of weeks, just trying to get some advice maybe or just kind of shoot some ideas around because, as we know, the Buckeye Bullet is one of the best that ever ran dirt. Yeah, I know that everybody's been approaching um, what to do from different angles. I know Brad uh, Kozlowski uh, put together a car and ran it last week. I know uh, a couple other cup guys uh, did that. A couple guys already had their own equipment, you know, but a couple guys... Uh, uh, put together equipment just to, so they could run. I think Logano did too, where they put together something so they could run there. Um, and now mind you, that car is not going to act or react the same as a cup car. Like I said, those two practices Friday afternoon are going to be really where you're going to see um, somebody who might be in lap one goes out and practice and spins the car in a circle. And then by the end of the day is running the best times. You know, all these guys are on learning curves like that. Uh, and the one, uh, the ones who adjust the best and the ones who, um, get a handle on it, you know, Ryan from uh, the first year, he ran a truck race at, at, uh, Eldora to the second year was a big difference. Um, the first one didn't quite go that great, but by the second year he was, you know, he was out there out front, you know, almost, you know, almost, almost pulling some things off. So, uh, you know, that's the thing. How quick is the learning curve? How steep is it? And how many of these guys get a hold of it? Um, by the end of the day, Friday and into Saturday. 
So again, if you want to catch the Food City Dirt Race Sunday, March 28th, Bristol Motor Speedway, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, you can catch it on Fox, on PRN on the radio, or Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Now, one other thing that's worth mentioning, this week is going to have the first event in the iRacing Pro Invitational Series, and it's going to happen on the dirt at Bristol, and Ryan Blaney is going to be participating in this race. Now, this series is one of those things where They've actually changed it a little bit from last year where they did this during the pandemic. In this series, the 35 charter teams each have an entry into the race. Um, I'm not sure if that means all of their 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 drivers are all competing in it. Definitely Ryan is. And then after the, that top 35, they have another five drivers that they can pick, which I know Dale Jr. is one of those. So this race is going to be happening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, where they're going to hold the first of three 20-lap qualifying heats at Bristol. And then, or I'm sorry, the, the coverage begins at 6 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday with the first of the three 20-lap 20 20 qualifying heats starting around 8 p.m. And then that's going to set the the heats, or it's going to, they're going to set the field for the, the actual feature event. Seven drivers from each of the heat races is going to make up the 21-car field for the feature. So that should be interesting. Ryan has talked about it. He's a little bit excited to get on there. He did okay <laughs> in the iRacing series last year. But honestly, that was just one of those things. The pandemic had just started. Racing had came, come to a halt. Um, I'd known a little bit about iRacing at that time, though I mostly raced on console games. Um, now, like I said, I have this iRacing rig now. Uh, at least on a budget, <laughs> I would say. It didn't go crazy. So it's something that I'm a little bit interested in and just some a way that uh, they guys can have a little bit of fun throughout the year. I forget how many of these races they're going to be hosting throughout the season. Uh, so, yeah, to say a 10-race season that they're going to be doing this year. Um, I know they talked about maybe this replacing some of those extra on-track activities that they're not going to have without practice and qualifying happening at the races that I don't 100% buy into, but... It's just something fun that they can do that gives the guys another way to give their sponsors a shout out. I think even in these races last year, there were sponsors that were just for the iRacing event. Uh, I think Bubba Wallace had a few of those when he competed. So what are your thoughts? Is this something that you think you're going to tune into uh, on a Wednesday? Oh, yeah. We'll be watching Wednesday night. Um, I, I can't wait to see, you know, like you said about sponsors, I can't wait to see what sponsors get to be on the cars. I'm, I'm sure... Uh, because it's it's TV airtime, um, the way it's arranged, that uh, everybody who's a charter team is going to have a sponsor who wants to be on TV. And, you know, hopefully it's body armor. I like the body armor colors. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of fun to, to see because uh, it's a loose, loose uh, event. Nobody's really like, oh, I got to win the championship. Or there's a couple guys that want to show off because they're better. They think they're better at iRacing than other guys. Um, but, uh, you know, it's fun because it's, it's a little bit looser. Uh, there were different ones last year where Ryan was spotting for chase Elliott, if I remember right, you know, and uh, they were having some fun there. Um, things happen where what happened with Denny, something with one of the kids or yeah. something. Yeah. One of Denny's kids shut his, he was leading the race or was doing really well. And Denny was, is one of these guys that has a very sophisticated iRacing setup and, uh, He's running really well. I think he actually won the first race of the year last year that they held, and his daughter turned his screen off while he was racing, and I think he crashed. So out of the, out of the lead. So, and he's one of those guys that takes a little bit more seriously. Timmy Hill, which I think unfortunately because he's not a charter team, isn't going to actually, as far as I know, going to be able to race in this. He's one of those guys that kind of has a rig like me that's just kind of set up on his his computer desktop. So. 
but you can have you know the Denny Hamlin type rig, you can have the the Tyler uh, Timmy Hill type of rig, and still be able to go out there and compete. So I think it's something that's going to be fun for the drivers. Something you know on a Wednesday it might wet your whistle a little bit on on racing for the weekend. Gives us the first taste of what Cup cars may possibly look like on dirt. We're really not going to know until Saturday. So Steve, I think we've talked about everything we can talk about in this uh, podcast. Very, very excited that Ryan Blady brought it home into victory lane. Heading into a, a weekend of unknowns here at Bristol Motor Speedway when they, where they've laid the dirt down. What do you think is a, a reasonable expectation for this 12 team? Or is there really even any expectations going into this race? Well, uh, you know what? Uh, that's the thing is now that you've won a race, um, you can you could feel a little bit of pressure off. Um, really just go out and have some fun with it. Um, I think a top 10 would be good. I think that they know that uh, as far as all the Penske guys that, uh, right, like I said, he's the best Penske guy right now. And, um, everybody's notebooks are going to be a little different on what they try to do to prepare. But, uh, like I said, by the end of Friday night, uh, I'm sure all the different teams are going to have some meetings on what they saw during those two practices. And, uh, yeah, I think a top 10 will be pretty good. Um, it's going to be hard to put my fantasy lineup together just because you're not going to have a starting lineup until Saturday night's over with, you know. So that's another thing. Who's starting where and, and how much uh, quality passing did they do during their heat races, you know, to just show how good they really are, you know. Yeah, you don't really know what's going to happen. For me, if he comes out of here with a solid top 10 finish or a top, 10, or a top 15 finish, I think the strategy here – I'm almost going to treat this as if it's almost an enduro type race. 250 laps on the dirt. They've never done it before. Just try to keep yourself clean. If he drops back a little bit, just to try to learn the track a little bit, tries to hang and stay away from people. I mean, you do have to be concerned about maybe getting lapped at some point and being multiple laps down by the end of this thing. I think that's one thing that you will see in this race compared to some of these other races is that probably, you know, more than half of the field is going to be lapped or, banged up uh taped back together i'm not i'm not really sure what they're gonna have so a lot of this i think is going to be about survival so if this 12 team can come home with a top 10 top 15 finish i think that's just fine by me go ahead how'd your, how'd your fantasy team do oh god i forgot about fantasy did not do that's that why, well that's why i brought it that's why i brought it up did you hear me say it i uh i did not uh i had a rough time with with picks this week i kind of went a little bit out there i keep preaching this whole uh thing where i'm trying not to use up the good guys uh when it when it comes to that in the first place just kind of hold on to them a little bit i did put (laughs) kevin harvick into my lineup steve is going ahead and showing me who he picked to win the race uh which would be yrb young ryan blaney so good for you steve i had um i had my race winner as martin truex jr and that didn't work out I did start Truex. I started Kevin Harvick because I thought, actually, I think I had Harvick in the garage, technically. I had Kurt Busch out there, but I didn't make that swap after Kurt got into that accident. I had William Byron. I had Bubba Wallace, and I had Matt Benedetto in my lineup. Didn't have Ryan in there. That's unfortunate. I thought I didn't want to. I'd already used him twice in this season, so I was trying to save him for a track that I thought he really had a shot at winning at. So that really shows you how great I am at a, at a NASCAR Fantasy Live pick. So... Like I said, I had Truex to win the race. He actually uh, finished ninth. I did uh, get some bonus points with Kyle Larson being the top Chevrolet. I had Brad as the top Ford. Obviously, that didn't turn out well, but for the better. 
I had Denny as the top Toyota, so that worked out. I had Toyota as the winning manufacturer. Didn't work out. Did have Team Penske as the winning team, so I did pick something right. But if you look through these picks, I'm all over the place. Um, uh, I don't the, know. The, big, the biggest issue I had was I had Logano and Keselowski in there also. I thought it was going to be a big Penske day overall. And they did not finish very well. They did not have very good stages either. So I actually dropped a little bit in the standings based on that. But um, I did I did pick the winner, manufacturer, uh, you know, and uh, team correct. So that helped. Um, you can join us on our NASCAR Fantasy Live League. Go up onto the NASCAR Fantasy Live website if you're not already a member of the league. Search for Team Blaney. You can find us on there. Still plenty of time to jump in here and maybe gain some points by the end of the season. Let's go through that uh, top 10 in the league. As we said, Steve dropped a little bit. I think you were third last week. You've dropped down a couple of positions. So leading us off in the first position, Doug zero five or Doug K zero five two five with one thousand two hundred and thirteen points. Second place is Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing. Blaney's Daisy is in third. Moon Cup is in fourth. Mez twelve. Our man Mez over there has dropped a couple of positions into the fifth position with one thousand one hundred and fifteen points. Team Penske is in sixth. Seventh is Vans twelve. Joe Lopez one is in eighth. Dean O might Dino Dino might is Dino might is in nine in ninth and uh, number ten. This is a good one if you're going to be into the top ten here. I'm a winner. They're a winner, like Ryan Blaney was a winner. Tenth place in the NASCAR Fantasy Live Team Blaney League, one thousand eighty-six points. Now, like I said, every week I just got to keep scrolling. Just a crazy amount. Hey, I picked up a couple spots. I'm in the 41st position, Team Blaney admin, with a wealth of 934 points. So I'm a couple hundred behind you, Steve. But like I said, I haven't even begun to put the heavy hitters into my lineup every week. This week, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I might just pick all the dirt guys just for fun. Uh, I'll throw Larson in there. I'll throw... uh, I don't know who else. Christopher Bell. I'll throw Ricky Stenhouse. I don't know. I'll just kind of throw all those. One free pick that you could have this weekend, though he's going to be starting from the back probably, is Stuart Friesen, who is a truck series regular, but also just incredible dirt driver in the big block modifieds from the Northeast. So uh, Friesen's one of those guys that almost a free pick. You can just start him and um, you not have to really probably worry about starting him again the rest of the year. So, uh, You know what about him? Uh, if you don't normally watch the truck race watch the truck race too because uh he's gonna go up against his wife on saturday night and i hear she might be the better driver in the family so yeah jessica friesen formerly jessica zemkin i've saw her race at sharon speedway and several other tracks down here in florida as well in a 410 sprint car she is no slouch when it comes to dirt racing and though they like they have said leading up to this that they've raced each other countless times um, she's got several top five finishes in a modified done really well in the sprint car in the past. So this will be their first time racing together in the NASCAR circuit, but it'll definitely be talked about throughout the weekend. All right, Steve, I think we've talked about everything we can for this edition of the team Blaney podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning into this episode. If you'd like to learn more about myself and Steve, please listen to our first episode that really dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney racing family. If you'd like to interact with us a little bit, you can find team Blaney on Twitter at team Blaney and on Facebook at facebook.com slash team Blaney. You can also find us on Instagram where some of the times when Steve and I are going to races, we're going to be posting some photos. I'm going to be relying on him to 
shooting me some photos from Bristol that I can get up on our Instagram over the weekend. You can also find us and subscribe and download the podcast on the Apple, Google Podcast apps, the Spotify app, the iHeartRadio app. You can also find the link to the podcast that's hosted on Acast anytime you like. Steve always says, make sure you subscribe because that way you're going to get the automatic download of the podcast every week. Usually comes out sometime around on Tuesday mornings. And you can catch up with all the news and notes that you want about Ryan Blaney and that number 12 team. And once again, to close out the show, we want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization was established in 2018 and supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine Concussion Program. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, or on Twitter at rbfamfoundation, and then finally on Facebook at facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation. If you have a relative that's struggling with Alzheimer's or concussions, if you follow their account, they post some really great news and tips and everything that can help you through that situation. So I really encourage you to find the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation on Twitter, on Facebook, and some of their social media accounts to get some of that content. So for my co-host Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers, and we'll catch you next time on the Team Blaney Podcast and hoping we're talking about win number two.